Infinity License, the podcast no one asked for, but we're doing it anyway. Up to episode 31. 31, Brian. the Mike Piazza of episodes. Ooh, I'm, I'm your host, Brian Pisano, and I'm sitting across from my co-host, Lenny DeFranco. And we have a special returning guest, stand-up comedian, small business owner, and in the league of friends of the license, Lance Bacher. Yeah. Welcome. Oh no, I don't say welcome. You say welcome. I say thanks to be here. That's what I say. <laughs> thanks, thanks Thank, to be here. Thanks to be here. Please to tell. Where is the uh, That's not even what I say. I say happy to be here. Happy. Thanks for having me. Dude, happy, happy to, to be you. here. We're happy to take you on to this journey happy to take that all we of call you. podcasting. All right, today we're going to talk about the issues of import in this, the greatest city of the world. Uh, New York City, in case you think Dubai is the greatest city in the world. <laughs> uh, New York does not have an indoor ski hill in 98-degree weather. Not yet. We almost did in the case of the East Rutherford Xanadu project. Ooh, that's true. But now it's just sitting empty in a swamp by <laughs> Giant Stadium, <laughs> or MetLife Stadium, excuse me. Yeah, um, you got to make sure you get the MetLife. Yeah. Because why just give it the name of the thing that it is? <laughs> well, because Lance... Well, Giants and Jets. Giants, right. and the Jets are both there. You're right. You're right. You know, the, uh, Fred Wirtz, shout out to Fred Wirtz. Hopefully we'll get him on the cast one day. Oh, he yeah. made the observation that they really should have called that JetBlue Stadium. Why not? Yeah, well, that, a good observation. And JetBlue is a New York, is based out of New York. Like, like JFK is a huge hub for them, which, well, they're, which they're not. Uh, they... A frustrating thing about the Jets, I think this was two seasons ago. Is a, that they had, a frustrating a thing. Frustrating, <laughs> a frustrating Jets joke. Uh, among, among all the, watch the Jets uh, today. They're they're the, apparently the only team that is going to give Kirk Cousins a six, like a fully guaranteed contract. Terrible decision. Kirk I Cousins know. isn't. Oh, I, I know. Overblown. But it's the most Jets move where we can all get convince ourselves that it's like, yeah, he's going to solve all our problems, and then it's just going to be just flushing the sound of money, just like flushing. I would have I would have been down if it was uh, Smoke and Jay, but I I could not care about Kirk, a Kirk Cousins Jet. Oh my god, can you imagine the mediocrity of a Kirk Cousins Jets team? I mean, I can imagine the mediocrity and abysmalness of most Jets teams that That's I've seen true. throughout my life. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't need that much imagination. Exactly. I don't need an imagination because it's been on display on television every Sunday for most of my life. I think the Jets should make a play for Brett Favre. I think that could be a good option. <laughs> I mean, he's not selling jeans anymore. He's selling yeah. something else. He's selling like some kind of workout plan. Uh, so we're going to talk about things that are of import to our great city. Um, mostly we're going to talk about real estate development, deregulation. Uh, we're going to talk about the... Uh, basically, like how NYC staple foods and restaurants are being pushed to the edge uh, and being replaced with what Lance and others really would call generic local, I think. Yeah, well, I'm honored to have uh, a phrase that is attributed to me. Yes, it's attributed <laughs> to you and only you. Yeah, only I mean, can. yeah. And we wow. might also, uh, sorry to interrupt, but we're also going to talk about, or maybe we'll make reference to, and I'll post the links to these, to Tim Wu's uh, New York Times op-ed called The Tyranny of Convenience. And Elizabeth Dunn's New Yorker uh, piece called The Inv Inflated Promise 
of the American Food Hall. Yeah, but uh, so Lance, you actually asked to come back on the show, and we're excited to have you back as a return guest. Second, yeah, I was, I was like, can I please come on the podcast again? <laughs> I would love to have my and voice heard by the masses. And Brian please. was like, sure, Jordan Peterson, you can come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I just meant uh, like an insecure. <laughs> it, it was talking through a sock puppet. It's like Lance, you can speak to me directly. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to use this avatar sock puppet. That yes, parading around. Um, Thank you, Brian. It's a. This is an issue that is important, whether Lance has to be on the show or not, or whether I asked him to be on the show, is <laughs> not important. But it is an issue that is important to both Lance and myself. It's the idea that New York is kind of constantly being astroturfed and taken over by the means of capital production that are pushing out small businesses and local vibes in favor of a kind of. Uh, broad and generic what, what feeling. feeling. Well, I guess reality. Yeah. But it, <laughs> I think it is exemplified in this feeling where things don't feel like they're actually tied to the place where they are located in. Right. I guess would be the way to describe that. I, you said generic local. I would say inauthentic local. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way. I mean, just I'll give an example. And again, I actually, when I like talking about this, I feel like. I mean, you know, again, who am I? Number one, but number two, uh, I don't like really calling out like particular like. So, I'm, for instance, I'm thinking of in my mind this ice cream shop, right? Right. And this ice cream shop exists everywhere, or not everywhere, but it exists in sort of the plane that we're talking about. But you go in there, it's popular. People find out about it on Instagram, you know, from all over the country, and they say, "We're going to go to this city because we want to go to this ice cream shop," so we could take the Instagram. Um, and uh, have the thing, but actually the picture is more important than the thing. Um, you know, occupy the line out the door of the block. Uh, you know, local residents don't go to this place because there's a crazy line, and the people who go have nothing or no interest even in the neighborhood. A lot of times these types of places will have, you know, a lot of garbage, uh, for instance, yeah. because there's, you know, no one lives here. It's right. just a place where people go to get ice cream. Um, and then uh, people will leave. Uh, in the lines, the whole basis of the place is to acquire the thing as opposed to take in the atmosphere or the feeling. Um, and a lot of the stuff is also kind of uh, couched in a lot of the kind of, I guess, Silicon Valley niceness operations. So the uh, customer service is very uh, customer first to the point where I feel like they're almost at will of, you know, kind of beholden to... Um, satisfying the customer and every sort of need, and by doing so, um, are not able to develop just like a real, per a real relationship with customers and a personality. Um, well, and then that's yeah. all. That's all. Um, I I'm not sure how how you'd get make this leap. But an interesting wrinkle to that is every single one of these places will have the uh, flip the over square. the tip. The, the yeah, square. the square thing. The square yeah. Terminal, yeah. And then you have that like passive aggressive tip situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> I just find that you this know. is what Larry David should have covered in the new season of Curb. Yeah, well, there's so much of this stuff that are, is, is like Curb related. But you get that experience, um, I think, in different pockets of not just New York but every city. And it's yeah. this. I guess it would be this generic local experience. Like some of these places, it's like it started in New York, but then you know it just opened in Boston. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, why? Sure, that is amazing, but <laughs> if it's a New York place, then you don't have to travel to New York to experience, you know, it's... it's right. uh, I mean, yeah. that's certainly the case of, like, you think of, I mean, I think 
patient zero for this might be Shake Shack um, or some kind of business like yeah, that. Yeah, Shake yeah. Shake Shack, maybe Starbucks is a good example of exploring yeah. Seattle out into yeah. that's certainly the, well, the hyper most hyper successful. Yeah, Shake Shake Shack's interesting because they're almost to me, it's like it seems like they're the like not even this generation, but I guess the McDonald's of this century right. in a way. Like I could see Shake Shack just being everywhere in fifteen years. Oh you yeah. Know? Well, I mean, okay, so I, I kinda wanna unpack what you're frustrated with because the, like the, take McDonald's as an example. McDonald's basically their innovation was not hamburgers, but uniformity, right? Like they realized that they could. Uh, there was this big trend that they could, uh, a consumer trend, a lifestyle trend that they could take exba- advantage of, which was driving, and uh, the fact that people were much more mobile now. So they knew that people could cover a lot more ground. They could offer the same experience in multiple different, you know, states, um, and it, you could also experience it with your car. I don't think that, and I mean, like, I think, I don't know if we would consider that wholesome or not. I think we'd probably consider that, like, a proto-problem. Like, maybe the problem now is that everything is like McDonald's, but I think the way it's like McDonald's is that McDonald's' marketing gimmick has yielded the, the lesson of, instead of being innovative, rather just find a marketing gimmick. And that's what the Instagram thing is. I don't really, um, like... Uh, begrudge people for wanting photo opportunities. Oh, course, that's what yeah. landmarks are. Um, but I mean, maybe like the way that I, like my the way that resonates with me. What you're saying is that landmarks are never where you like, or rarely where you live. You know, they're museum pieces. They're the Washington Monument, not like a neighborhood. And is it right to have to to um, like turn something that's an authentic uh, part of you know where people live? Um, and could be experienced on those terms into something that's so fungible and and kind of removable from the context. But I was thinking about Rome, right? So there's the Colosseum, and I went to Rome with my family for I was in Italy for the first time uh, last year, mm-hmm. and um, we went to the Colosseum, and uh, you know basically all these places that are tourists, uh, pretty much inhabited exclusively by tourists now. Uh, but there's just you know the tremendous history of the Roman Empire. Clearly, you know, that history is thousands and thousands of years old. Yeah. New York history is 100, 100 like, and, you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is 100 years old, 50 years old, yeah. 150 years old, really, at the most. Yeah. Um, so this is, it's a bit of a different story, but to me, that also it, the, this transition also, in some way, feels like the inevitable reality of cities under the kind of, uh, I guess, economic and cultural just realities we live in. This seems to be the end stage of neoliberal global capital for cities that have made it to, right? You make it to a certain tier where you're meeting people's needs from a economic perspective or reaching a certain point on the global stage where you're like, hey, we're in New York. New York is a global brand, just like... We're in New York. We're in New York, see <laughs> The scene from every like Spider-Man hey. movie or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but then that yeah. gets so diluted through right. these places. It's not. It's essentially non-existent in these types of places, which I find interest, really interesting. And I think that was actually a callback to our Charlie Walden episode, and it's also a callback to the, our episode with you, Lance, too, talking about Jeremiah's Moss's Vanishing New York, where essentially New York had New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. It's like a Tennessee... Yeah, yeah the three ten, cities. The yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee Williams Court. Everything yes. else is Cleveland. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's only three American cities everywhere else. New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Everything else is Cleveland. Um, you know, bias towards those three, three cities. I, I know. That's ironic, because I've heard New Orleans described as America's Caribbean city. But well, it just feels like, I think what I always interpreted that quote is, is that and this also ties back into what we're saying, is that you go 
anywhere USA, right? You go to any town, any really place in the United States. Then this isn't true of everywhere, but you know, you go on a street. I was in Fargo, North Dakota once, yeah. and. Um, the main town area was kind of cool and unique, but you go a second outside and it's just this strip and it could be Long Island or yeah. it could be Florida or it could be South Carolina. The, you know? chi- the Chili's yeah. in Fargo is exactly. the Chili's in yeah. Utica is the Chili's in Fort Lauderdale. And, and, and the, yeah. it's, that's what it is. It's and just, then with the cities thing, which I think is interesting, is that this idea now is that like there's places in New York that feel like any city USA. Like it feels like it's the same thing as San Francisco or places right. in LA or you know, Austin, Texas. And that's the, that's the crux of what I'm getting to. And I think where we're at an inflection point here in New York, where we can make that decision about, Hey, are we going to continue on this trend and just be the city now in this post nine 11 world? And now we've been, it, it's, we've been kind of embraced by the rest of the country. And with yeah. that, it would be, we've seen as more accessible and the Bloomberg administration did everything it could to like hail, like you're saying, tourists and not really serve the people that live in the community or their concerns at the community board, but really serve the almighty dollar in the form of tourist dollars. Yeah. And I even, you know, obviously again, pretty uh, also ironic. I am like critical of this considering I operate a uh, walking tour company, but, um, (laughs) but you're interested. I think I would say your tourism is a little bit more ethical in the sense that you are doing tourism in service of the culture of New York city. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's always, everything's always a compromise, but there's, like, little things I think one could do. Like, for instance, I don't have, you know, something as simple as, like, having an umbrella yeah. that's, like, or signs that say tour. Yeah. Um, try to keep the group small. Again, that's sort of a, a little thing where it's, like, the bigger groups you have, you make more money. Yeah. Um, people like money. Yeah. Uh, the smaller, <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, I, don't, I don't use, like, a microphone. Yeah. You know, but the, part of it is because I actually think it's a better experience for everybody. Right. You know, you have nice sized groups, better experience. You don't have kind of all those tourist distractions. It feels like you're getting an actual feel right. of the thing. Um, but obviously, a lot of things are catered to tourists. But then um, when we talked, we really talked about this a lot the last podcast. But I, I mean, I wouldn't say like resident tourists where, um, you know, you go to, Chick-fil-A is a good example, right? There's like this demand, let's bring Chick-fil-A to New York City because it's just like I had at home. And yeah, like, uh, I mean, listen, I, I love Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the chicken. Yeah. Uh, I like the chicken of Chick-fil-A, I will say. Yes. Um, and, uh, the chick part. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the filet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like that type of thing where the booth, the, there's a movement to replace, you know, say some diner that serves the neighborhood and that forges a relationship with people um, as opposed to, you know, because people miss uh, having some sort of semi-national chain. Right. And which is even, and then there's even the trend that goes up against that, but is in fold with that, which Lenny, you've referred to, whereas that people move to New York, it's the the inherent contradiction of moving to New York because they're like, oh, I'll move to New York because they don't deal with the Chili's or the Applebee's or the other, or Starbucks of the, the world. But developers have caught wind of that and said, like, okay, we'll just, we'll create instead hip, hip coffee shop in this. Yeah, building. like fancy Starbucks. You know those, like, fancier Starbucks that they have? Like secret Starbucks. They're, no, they're, are they Starbucks or are they just, like... Yeah, they're Starbucks. There's a few of them, there's a few of them around. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know if fancy is the right word. We, they actually just opened one uh, next to Tompkins Square Park. It's like... Uh, oh, they're just like nicer versions. Of, they yes. like McDonald's does that too. They have okay. nicer McDonald's. They okay. also have... We have fancy Burger King, you know that. There's a Burger King in Times Square where you can buy Bud Light too. Um, <laughs> um, why haven't we gone there? <laughs> I don't know. I've actually always wanted to go there. Uh, I, I do... I, I kind of want to... like. I never really understood that uh, the, the idea that America only embraced New York after 9-11 though. I mean like... If you think about so many iconic moments that have been enshrined, like you know the the Times Square V Day, uh, VJ Day, uh, like Kiss, um, you know the the New Year's Ball, um, the fact that all of our finance, you know, had heads are located here. I think that we've always seen this as sort of this outlier, you know, like driver's seat position of the country. It's certainly not Heartland America. Um, but uh, and, and I think that immediately after that, it also reverted back to being very alien. I mean, the irony of New York is that it was such an outlier that the thing that you know every hick in the world could cite as the most American-inspiring thing happened in this place full of Jews and liberals and you know homosexuals who they hate. Yeah. And so I think that that was much more of a of an outlier. I think that like New York is. Um, definitely equipped to be a place that can kind of absorb all this tourism, if anywhere can. Um, we were uh, talking about uh, Nashville, for example, and the insidious effect that Airbnb is having there. And I think one problem with that is that, um, you know, what used to be a quiet neighborhood is now turning into, like, this party uh, area where people, like, don't really care about it. In New York, there are definitely quiet neighborhoods, but you know, very few of them like would be considered like, oh, this was a quaint place before people came in. You know, um, yeah. like the places where people like part like New York is big enough that you can that those well, are going to yeah. be separated from. Like, I, I think in I other think words, it, I think that New York might be uh, big enough to to absorb yeah to to absorb uh, some of this tourism. I don't think that 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 porting people in is necessarily bad for the city. Yeah, well, to say that there shouldn't be, I mean, I don't know if I maybe. Uh, Left off the might have I guess uh, gave off the impression that tourists are bad. That's yeah, Lance definitely Parker, tourist yeah. company owner hates tourists. Yeah. So uh, this is the biggest scoop of the century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like tourists are an essential part of any city, particularly New York City. Uh, I think the issue comes when the city uh, is built to serve tourists almost more than right. residents. Well, it's and, tip. It's tipped the other way. People, yeah. tourists should come here because... Yeah. To, to experience the city, right. not to experience, um, you know, a Disneyland yeah. that is removed from what was something. Right. You know? to, to me, it feels like the, the really big issue is for people that live here that demand it to be something different than it is. Yeah, so going back, because uh, I was, you know, when we were talking about this, uh, you know, I was thinking a lot about it. So Essex Street Market, the... or. Uh, the origin story, similar. Um, essentially, LaGuardia, Mayor LaGuardia, banned oh, push carts. Uh, one of, it was pretty practical. One of the reasons was because emergency vehicles couldn't get through the streets. So Fiorello. The, yeah, the old Fiorello. Good old Fiorello. The original it, diffusion ticket, socialist yeah. mayor of New York City. Yeah. Half Italian, half Jewish. So, yeah. Guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, He's the true epitome of New York Yeah, City. so they basically said, and, uh, you know, some people also thought push carts were a nuisance and that uh, it, it made a neighborhood seem like it couldn't get out of its, you know, sort of poor, uh, you know, classification. Right. But they, you know, they said, okay, let's just build this indoor place and have all the push cart vendors there. Right. Um, so that kind of evolved over the years. It was pretty much always an independent, the vendors always, you know, kind of, you know, had this coalition and um, the city ended up taking it over. 
I believe they opened in 95, like the way it's operated now. And I go there, you know, pretty often. Um, and there's, you know, essentially different stalls. There's, you know, you get produce. There's a butcher that's been there for a long time. There's a fish guy. Um, recently, I think more recently, there's been some, you know, kind of newer businesses that are great, you know, like this Japanese street food uh, place that's great. Um, Puerto Rico Coffee, I don't know if you guys know them. There's this old coffee uh, place in Greenwich Village that's been around um, 1907, oh, wow. I think. Um, wholesale coffee, and they have a few. They have, there's one in Williamsburg, there's one in East Village. Okay. Um, it's a good, great place, but so I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think some of them have kind of joined in the past few years knowing this new development is coming. Yeah. And it's really like, you're. I mean, it is such a double-edged sword in every single way possible. I mean, number one, uh, the Seward Park uh, urban redevelopment thing, which is Essex Crossing um, now, um, so I believe it was Robert Moses. Um, it was uh, tenements like in these several blocks off Delancey Street, and they uh, essentially got rid of them, slum clearance type thing. You know, 1950s, 1960s, all these you know tenements in the Lower East Side um, were essentially you know some a lot of them were cleared, uh, a lot of public housing went up, um, a lot of landlords you know divested or burned you know that type of thing. Right. Um, so there was just this empty parking, a series of empty parking lots essentially sitting for almost 50 years or maybe 50 years. And there were different plans over the course of, you know, the years to do something with it. Um, I believe, um, again, I don't want to be, you know, 100% sure, but I'm fairly certain. Uh, one of the reasons that was never developed, I think like the Sheldon Silver kind of group right. um, prevented some development from happening because they wanted to keep the Jewish pop, you know, they wanted it to, you know, sort of Jewish population, not other populations. So it's like this really long-term moving thing where if, you know, normal politics had their function, you know, say 1985, this wouldn't be the case now. Right. Um, so it was just this vacant thing that sat for so long um, and, you know, as, as the city changed, they said, well, we have, we're sitting on a gold mine, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what was it, what else was it going to become? You know, you have this right. unheard of, uh, land in New York city. It, like what are you not going to, you're going to build like a, like there, so there was a diner, yeah. um, that was, uh, in where essentially where the market is, the diner right off and a liquor store right yeah. off the, uh, the Essex street F train, um, Oh, yeah. Like, what are you going to have? You right. know, it's, it's like it's one of those things about be it living in New York where if you see any open space, particularly in Manhattan, you're like, why isn't there anything there? Like, how is that possible? And, and you know, it's due to some kind of either some kind of political either backroom or front room dealing or just Byzantine bureaucracy yeah. that, that you people can't navigate and or people just waiting out to be like, can I? How long can I wait before I really, really cash out? Like, can I cash out now? Exactly. Or can I cash out in a little well, bit and really cash out? Or will imminent domain just yeah. kind of roll over me? And then I talk yeah. about this on my tours a lot. Like, so there's this there's place Di Roberti's. I don't know if you know. Uh, I was in these village, this like pastry, you know, espresso mm -hmm. kind of family run type place. And they were around. I don't remember. I think like early 1900s they opened. Like mm -hmm. so a long time, yeah. and they closed 2014. And it was this, um, you know, Veniero that uh, pastry place in the East Village. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like right around the corner from there. Um, and that area was like an Ita you know, Italian area for a little bit. Right. Um, but they were like, you know, getting older. I think one of the, there's like a just a few people running it, family running it, and one of them had health problems. So, you know, they sold the building, I, I believe, uh, for like, like something like $9 million or something like that. It's a black seed bagel now. Yeah. But like, you know, could you like blame? Like, no. you know, just the incentives are all like, 
And I think just the incentives are such, you're almost kind of foolish not to... Yeah, oh yeah, know? absolutely. And I think that's in this system that's been designed, or been designed or been designed by accident or on purpose from history, is that individual actors making these decisions, you're like, of course I'm going to take that $10 million yeah. payday on a property. You almost have to be crazy. It's a you know 100,000% return yeah. on whatever investment you originally made. And are, we're just, things are just have accelerated to a point in our culture, both locally and globally, to the point of where it's like, well, the people that can finance these kind of projects are major multinational corporations and banks, and, it's, and we're going to have to just reclaim the city, whether it's via this little bit astroturfed kind of way, where it's like a development company comes in and sells you, sells you the product of New York City, but it's really just, oh yeah, this used to be owned by that, that old Baker family, the old Italian, this is an old <laughs> Italian neighborhood. Uh, Streit's Matzo Factory, I don't know if you guys remember, that also right next to where Essex Street Market is. Um, the, so the company, like, you know, citing, it wasn't as important for them to be there because the Jewish population, you know, left, essentially. Um, and um, they just needed to update the factory because it had been there for so long. So they said, uh, why would we keep the factory here? when we could A, cash out, and B, our clientele's not here. Strategically, it makes no sense. Um, So they sold that, I think it was like $30 million. And now um, they're building a condo. The condo is like paying tribute to the factory, like somehow. (laughs) It's like, like, lose lose your fingers as you stick your key in. It is like insane. And it's like, like, why is that... Yeah, I don't know. But that's, and that's I don't what, know even what to say about it. But it's that's just the like thing, crazy. Is that now with the whole Jane Jacobs formula for like the balance between uh, commercial, residential, and industrial to make a city function, right? She had essentially a theory, as I understand it, um, uh, in her book, The Death and Life of American yeah. Cities, about how all cities need kind of like this. They have to have kind of these balanced fulcrum points, and then they all kind of have to balance with each other uh, to make a functioning American city, and if we're going to do this, because you need, you know, a working, a, a labor class, a capital owning class, and uh, and actually a place for people to live and enjoy their living space, if you want to have a, a city that is successful and good to live in. Uh, but now we've just kind of tilted the full scale into, and in a, a global economy that's based mostly on information and service economy, you just making investments in residential real estate or making commercial investments or making the mixed residential and commercial investments. And there's really no room for like working class people or regular people to own a small business or to just own a factory, like own a factory that supports jobs that people could live in the neighborhood. You know, we still need matzah, but is it, it's just cheaper to put that factory in New Jersey somewhere and just ship yeah. it into the city, you know, and that's the, that's just business, you know, mm-hmm. and, but is it that's, that's just business. It's just business. You does know this does this strike you guys as kind of like the first world problems for cities? Like, imagine if there was nothing that was fighting to displace an old factory. You know, like we don't know that the factory necessarily would have continued operating. Uh, maybe it would have, like especially if the population didn't leave. Um, but like to me, I think of um, like what's worse than, especially in New York City history. What's worse than someone coming in and like paying really tacky homage to the factory, which absolutely is tacky, and it is displacing people um, that used to, you know, it changes up, it ups, up markets the, the the neighborhood. But in New York City history, there's also been plenty of times when the government has found like you know big uh, like hard industry distasteful, or like the you know like meatpacking, you know, they try to move them out, or like other factories, and they and they artificially try to um, like 
the the, gov- the city government will put up, push out like an industry uh, from parts of the city and try to replace it with like a service industry or something like that. It doesn't really take. And so, is that like is this like a good? Pro- is this a first world problem? Is this like a good problem to have because it's basically all of it attests to the success of New York City. I guess the way to, I would phrase this question like to Lance is like, what about like the factory thing? Like, what is it specifically that you find distasteful? So, so I would say to answer that, I think. What the question you're posing, the alternative is definitely worse. Like if you take them in a zero sum game, right? You want like yeah, it's a, this is a classic. A city is a victim of its own success, kind of. Right. Um, what I find concerning is that um, in the long term, there seems to be this destruction or this not taking into account history in a sense that. I think just the idea of human accomplishment is being discounted. Um, so, in a, for instance, um, Landmark Sunshine Cinema, I don't know if you guys know that yes. place, yeah. uh, closed yeah. uh, recently. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, this is, a, I think we, we might have talked about this in the last podcast, uh, I don't no, remember. We mentioned it probably off podcast, but yeah. we, did, we did, So we've had this yeah. conversation. Just now so, the they're doing pretty well financially. Obviously, the rent, you know, their lease was up, their rent was up, there was going to be raised. Um, I think 2012 or, or so, uh, it was proposed to the community board that they have a liquor license um, so they could, you know, turn into kind of one of these, uh, what's that place, Nighthawk? Well, yeah, Nighthawk yeah. Center or the yeah, Alamo like Draft House. A Nighthawk t- type place. Um, community board voted it down, uh, saying, you know, there's too many liquor licenses in the neighborhood. That would have saved the theater. Um, so, again, it's sort of this push and pull of, like, you need to adapt to the changing times. Yeah. Uh, someone bought it, um, and uh, initially there was going to be some sort of mixed retail keeping the space. Uh, so it's a historic theater. It's I think it's a very nice-looking building. Um they uh, decided that it'd be more profitable just to knock it down. It's not a national landmark. There was like alterations in the construction at one point, so you know it didn't qualify. Um, so they're knocking it down and building it, you know, just generic glass office building. And um, I think that's the concern. Like an example like that, where it's like there's gonna inevitably things like the matzah factory. Just that's just sort of a natural cycle of any city. Um, I think the concern is that there's. A, history, but B, just, you know, the idea of this just very nice uh, historic building that is a testament to just A, what happened here, but B is just kind of, you know, what the human character is about just in terms of express expression through architecture and just like kind of what people are capable of. And that seems like uh, people and just the idea of, I guess, the human spirit seems to be... uh, not at all a, not not even close to a priority. Um, I mean, I think just aesthetically, yeah. uh, there was some study done uh, above the um, that Whole Foods over there. Yeah, um, right on, I think it's on Houston or Delancey. Yeah, yeah, yeah on, where house. like uh, psychologically, um, you know, you, they put a bunch of people like in front of there, and they're like psychologically like <laughs> they're, more stressed out, they're like hurt, not hurt as by it. yeah hurt by it, and then you put people like nearby, you know, a sort of more. Uh, old style, you know, these brick buildings and um, people were more quick. I mean, it goes back to Jane Jake, the Jane Jacobs type thing where it's, um, the whole thing seems to be that the city's now being built uh, not with um, human needs in mind, but more of this kind of, I guess, combination of capital and just larger development. I yeah. think the landmark Sunshine Cinema is, is a perfect example of how gentrification goes really wrong and also irrationally wrong. And I think the same thing applies to, we were talking before about 
Um, the same thing applies to Coogan's Uptown, which actually got saved partly thanks to Lin Manuel Miranda, whose dad Alexander is a, Hamilton, whose dad is a political operative, yeah. by the way. I didn't yeah. know that. He but, was a Democratic um, Party. He, like he ran a lot of local campaigns, I think. Uh, yeah, and in New York City council campaigns. Yeah, but like, and Coogan's isn't that old. But I mean, th- what you have with like, th- it's it's irrational because the landmark Sunshine Cinema is um, like the thing that is human about it is that. The thing that's – it's something that makes the neighborhood what it is. Exactly. Uh, the art the, – the role of art and artists in gentrification, specifically in rising property values, is important. And it feels like, to a large degree, the, where gentrification goes really wrong, like arguably all of the process is wrong, certainly any kind of version of the top-down, you know, like a, a strategic um, uh, model of gentrification is wrong. But there's also a model of gentrification that's like – you know, artists move into a blighted area and like maybe make it better. And there's at least something organic about it. And also, yeah, just on like an aesthetic level, like it feels better to me that like they're moving in and stuff. Um, But when, when it gentrifies in that way and you, you end up having, you kind of build a new authenticity to it. um, When at some point that then becomes desirable for people that, you know, that's kind of the, the, those are inadvertently the shock troops of gentrification, which I think is a Jeremiah Moss Mm -hmm. concept. Then you have the real capital move in, and it makes irrational decisions like getting rid of the aesthetic magnet that drove people to the neighborhood. Exactly. And it goes to show how ravenous that capital pull is. Yeah. The, the conquest is and, – and it works pretty simply because it's that people get greedy on a micro level. Like, you know, um, Coogan's, uh, you know, is like a beloved uptown, uh, like Washington Heights bar – but it probably, you know, the landlord thought they could get a lot more for it. There, if you were, if you were the the like lord of the entire city, you the would be lord. like, I'm never, I'm going to hurt property values if I get rid of this nationally known art yeah. icon. Yeah. But but in, in the in the micro, um, the, the you know it it becomes kind of a, a victim of its own success at attracting capital, and then the capital kills it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think two things to that. Uh, number one, like I've interesting because you know obviously do like Lower East Side as we're sort of talking about. I know the sales pitch for all these kind of new developments is essentially you know live uh, well you know um, and you know they're marketing as it kind of old meets new, which you know debatable in terms of you know what we're saying morally. I think you could potentially have a debate, you know, on, on that. But, um, you know, there's a saying, you know, old historic neighborhood, and they point to places like Katz, Katz's yeah. and the Tenement Museum, um, you know. So essentially, like, I think the, the play is like, all right, let's see how much old stuff we can get rid of as long as we keep Katz's and Russ and Donner's. Yeah, that's a and great then, point. Yeah. Like, and Katz's, uh, there's a new uh, condo going up right next to them, uh, which was, you know, like a Turkish kebab place, uh, empanada place, um raise pizza, you know, just kind of just, yeah. use, you know, a few kind of small businesses. But um, Katz's, they uh, sold their air rights for $17 million. And it was like marketed like Katz's is saved. And like great real estate, pl- again, individual actors, like great play by them. You know, they have an extra $17 million. Um, to, to charge you $20 for yeah, a yeah. sandwich. Yeah. Um, I love Katz's, but it's very Yeah, but like it almost seems to me it's like the developer, you know, who knows if this is an act like, Actively doing this, but it almost seems like how much how much stuff can we get rid of as yeah, long as no, we keep Katz's? Totally, yeah. it, it's it's very it's very surgical in that way, and it's also like 
It's a it's just a race to fucking Mickey Mo- Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and then Katz's like, becomes just kind of yeah. not what it was because yeah, you know it's, it's, yeah. in that like in that scenario, yeah, there's the air rights thing, but it's also Katz has become such a commodity on its unto itself, and arguably it's just succeeded at becoming a commodity yeah. in a way that something that was more authentic was unable yeah. to, and that's the only way it's able to survive. Right, and, and if you live in those glass buildings, how often were you going to go to Katz's versus how? Well, often you're going to just get it delivered to you. You're not going to go. Uh, that's true. You're going gonna to press. Yeah. Two buttons on uh-huh. your phone. The Which I know because I, as a Postmates courier, I uh, double, triple moonlight or something as a Postmates courier. I've gone to Katz's a number of times for people. But anyway. Um, but that's the whole one. Maybe well, that's a tangent. But okay. what the hell? Like part of the experience is going to Katz's. So you're telling me these people move in just so they can get something to, like two blocks away? or the, the, Yeah. Because they don't want to... The whole experience... Well, whole so reason, this is our exact... Uh, this is their perfect, I think, segue... Um, where it's like, you know, so like downtown New York City, for instance. And things naturally change, right? So I think Katz is just the reality of delicatessens. The business model is not a 21st century business model. Number one, the food isn't particularly healthy. People have demands of health. And, I, you know, it's expensive. <laughs> you tell like, me you never thought about this. <laughs> a pastrami sandwich. Yeah, believe it or not, believe it or not guys, a <laughs> uh, pastrami sandwich that's seven times bigger than you need is not a great, you know, but, um, like, they could actually do things on it, like, if they just somehow figured out how to make some Instagram, you know, uh, looking sandwich, you know, one of these places could do great in terms of this stuff. Yeah. But again, completely changes the game. But um, like Katz's, I think just the reality of delicatessen, like anything that just withstands, like delicatessens are all over New York City. Right. Now there's just a few. Right. It's kind of a natural progression where the few are going to become not what they were, just kind of this almost historical relic. I think it's an inevitable process that uh, I don't know. I don't know another food example, but I'm sure if you look, I think diners might become that in New York City, and they're kind of becoming that a little bit. It's you know, it's kind of similar to delicatessen. But my my but issue with the, that is that it removes not only just a, a food service place. Yeah, deli- a delicatessen certainly is a dated thing, but a delicatessen also, or a diner. A diner is more so this, but a diner is a public square. Like people yeah. hang out at it. A, a diner's, diner. I yeah, yeah. It it kills me that I see in one of the new McDonald's that they've redone in my hometown, I know people hang out there. And something about the idea of hanging out at a McDonald's makes me want to throw up and and is the whole reason why I moved to New York, kind of part of the reason why I moved into the city because I was like, okay, well, this is, there's not this inauthentic forced community that McDo- the McDonald's Corporation has put together. It's like I can go to a place. I know... I live in a very neighborhoody part of New York and I know a lot of the people in the neighborhood. Yeah. And, and I, it's... We're... Tilting only in the favor of capital demands and not acknowledging whether it's in the case of a movie theater or a diner or another public space or a public place that also happens to be a business. And, and you know, their, their, their purpose yeah. as a place to live and not just press two buttons and, and force feed a, well, a burrito the size of a football into your mouth. Or, or hey, don't or knock that. I know. <laughs> Look, I did that earlier today, and that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> and it's, I think a large part of it is just these small micro decisions that add up. Add up. Talking about pressing two buttons. Yeah. It's the most convenient option. Yeah. And people are uh, clearly, uh, that's what humans have uh, said. You know, I'm tired. I'm not going to walk downstairs two blocks to uh, pick up my food. I'm going to, or even go to Katz's and experience link. it. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, yeah. yeah. I'm going to spend an extra $7, yeah. which is absurd to me. I'm like, so I do these Postmates and I'm like, these, like, not whatever. Like, listen, there's a different, like, People have, like, there's a million, not a million, but there's several, plenty of reasons to get food delivered. Yeah. You know, if you're tired, 
Yeah. Uh, you had a long day. Maybe you're sick. Somebody, yeah, sick. You know, handicap or something you, like that. You, yeah. you know, uh, got dumped. Who knows? Yeah. You know, like who knows what you're dealing with. But uh, for it to be the de facto decision, uh, and then you know, spend the extra money and not experience uh, anything. I, I mean, the whole thing of New York City. I, I've always, you know, I think something I was attracted to do is that uh, the idea of it is that you really don't spend a ton of time in your apartment. Right. It's designed for you to. Uh, get out of the city. I was reading something about like uh, the movie Kids. Yeah. And uh, like they were just talking, <laughs> which is like a, a bit of a far, a bit of a far segue. Yeah. But yeah, like, I like it, you know, yeah, a bit of a out of left field. <laughs> but it was like some actor, a kid, like, or, or maybe, uh, what's the guy? Uh, Harmony uh, Corinne. Yeah. 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 He's just talking about like the whole idea of New York City. This is 1995, not too long ago, but it was just that like you would never go home. Yeah. And you would just like be out and experience you know, experiencing things for lack of a better, you right. know, and it seems like that ethos is so, it's like almost 360. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Well, it is, I mean, among like uh, some of us, it, it's not like, it, I mean, a lot of New York is a, it, like one of the psychologically, de, you know, determining things about it is that you got to fight for your space, right? Like it's, it's expensive to have space. And so if you spend a lot of time at home, um, you're, you know, you, you can, it's cause you can afford it. And if you don't have a lot of money, you live in a small place, you don't spend that much time there, you definitely don't. I mean, the number one good reason to order food is because you can afford it. Uh, well, I was going to say that that I think that, yes, we're certainly dealing with a rich capital class that's moving into New York. And they're moving into these glass buildings, which I hate. I was talking to my mom about this this weekend, and I'm like, these the glass developments that are getting thrown in, up there... It's like essentially if the Soviet Union had a little bit more money, this is what they would do. <laughs> That's what they look like to me, don't that's, they? Well, they, and it's so clear, like, nobody seems to like them. Yeah. You and, know, like, and, that's a clear warning sign that, I mean, I don't even think that, like, I mean, you know, I know some people who make plenty of money and could afford to, you know, maybe live in some of these. You know, some of them are crazy expensive, but, right. like doesn't seem like many people are actually even interested in living in them. Yeah, and the people who do live in them are either foreign capital investors yeah. or people that actually live in them that have a lot of money, and they're the people that wanted to run their life through, say, the Sex in the City or the more modern girls simulator. They come from where... They're a rich person that came from wherever and wanted to run their life through New York for essentially two or three years and had the privilege to do that. And then they realize they're like... They don't engage with the city that, you know, maybe that we are saying that you should to properly enjoy the city. Well, and there's like, so a million different cities to engage in, you right. know. But, yeah, yeah to and, not engage in any of them. And yeah. by the way, what is, yeah. what is more desirable than those, these, like, you know, generic glass structures? It's the brownstone concept, you know, like, because yeah. brownstone is not only, like, I think it's more aesthetically pleasing, but also it's of New York. Like, you fucking feel like you're in New York right. when you're standing in, like, Park Slope or Windsor Terrace or any number of next to Park Slope, to Prospect Park neighborhoods. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the cool ones. As we broadcast live from Park Slope. Yeah, just an example of, like, the micro decisions that, like, lead to this stuff. I, I did real estate for, like, five horrible weeks in uh, 2014 in Brooklyn, and uh, I was riding around with a guy, um, this Israeli guy, and he was he was showing us this, uh, like, there was this uh, community garden where people are, you know, growing vegetables and stuff. And he's like, he, he very dismissively said, see, this is what, uh, when I look at this, I see you could put the building here and, you know, charge, you know, like they're giving yeah, yeah. up, they're giving yeah. up millions of dollars of rent. Exactly. And that's it. the kind of thinking that he has. He has no 
concept of the fact that like maybe this street is worth more because there's a garden here you know yeah. like it's just it and and ar- arguably that's irrational thing for him to think if he has the opportunity to put something else up there and if he has the opportunity to foreclose on cbgb's for example you know because maybe in like that square footage is not being maximized but it ultimately kills the neighborhood the short-sightedness is, is that hey the material what do people want people want to just live in a space that maybe these these new buildings, they're in a great neighborhood. They're close to Katz's, which though, if you live there, how often are you really going to go to Katz's? Right. I, so, I, I mean, you know, I'm not too far away. Yeah, uh, how often? Do I you haven't know? gone. Not in a Postmates-related way. Yeah, I've been <laughs> like two weeks ago for Postmates. But uh, just for me, I mean, so with Postmates, I do get some nice, uh, well, it's interesting, too. This so is another, an this is, so this is another wrinkle. This is actually <laughs> yeah. a very interesting wrinkle. So yeah. uh, for so a service like Postmates, right, at Katz's, you have the guys cut up the meat for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they give you the pastrami or corned beef to try. And yeah. They give you a nice little plate. And the custom is the tip. Yeah. Um, Postmates, I'm getting it for someone else. Oh, yeah. Right? So oh, I yeah. always tip them, but I'm essentially, You're you know, like out. I'm losing a, like a dollar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do have, you know, I get to have the little sample. Um, <laughs> and I'm always like, well, it's, you know, it, it's worth it. I love the pastrami and yeah, I, yeah. you know, wouldn't go here. But it's like a, it's a fascinating. That's a good. Point. That's, that's sort of a whole other thing. It adds but, a dimension to um, like the layer of yeah, service economy. Yeah, but for myself, I haven't been to Katz's maybe eight or nine months. Like right. for me, um, but that's really just because, again, honestly, I think it's just the model of like delicatessen. It's like more money than I want to spend. Right. Um, you know, but it's I've actually been craving it. Uh, yeah. No. The more I, I go, and I'm like, I gotta go. But then I'm like, well, I could, you know, uh, get dumplings for you know four dollars. You know, the mindset now is just like default, like what does capital demand? And then we have to like figure out how to preserve things based on that. Yeah. Where it's like, imagine just the de facto thing was like, what do people want out of a city? Yeah. (laughs) Like what would people like to have? And then you like, I don't know, there's like a meeting (laughs) and then like people say, I want this and I want that. And then you build a city around. I mean, this is like the Jane Jacobs thing. Like you build... The city around uh, people, as opposed to, you know, I guess at that point, like Robert Moses, you know, right. building things and then placing people in them. But um, it's, I don't know, it's just, I mean, I, again, I don't know close to enough about economics and even like well, I think politics. That, that's even not economics. Like, that's, I think, that's local engagement in politics. Yeah. You know? And that's the but tough thing. I guess about it's York. this yeah. idea that, like, you know, these cities are, um, the idea that these cities are uh, like a service yeah. to, yeah. And, and I think that's the and I think that's what we have to negotiate coming up. And it'll be the difference between whether New York City just kind of becomes every other city that you're getting out of your San Francisco's or Seattle's or Chicago's. Well, and, yeah. Or whether we engage and say, like, no, we're drawing a line here. We get to keep CBGBs or whatever it is, or we get to put something that we want, whether it's what and it, regardless of the demands of capital and we want we want to have a movie theater. And, yeah, and maybe it sells wine or beer. And yeah, <laughs> and but at the same time, like a place like Landmark, like there was a solution, and then it wasn't uh, acted upon. Yeah. So it's like the, every sort of angle has to, yeah. you know. There's also like we're not really talking at all about the other like gentrification issue. I mean, there like what we're kind of lamenting is frustration with how stupid it is uh, to displace like moderately, you know, well-off people with, like, really rich people and their tacky desires. The other aspect of gentrification that, you know, like, I deal with all the time because I am one is moving into, like, legitimately poor people neighborhoods that used to be 
like, you know, not desirable. And then all of a sudden you send in the shock troops of a couple of white kids. And then they, they like, in a, then this is done in a very top down way, uh, turned. And, um, you know, at, I'm, I live in Crown Heights right now. And I think that one thing that's very evident there is, um, or like, you know, far Bushwick is, um, when you lack any kind of, uh, like bohemian influence, it gets done in a really violent way. You know, it's like not it, it displaces people in a in a really aggressive way, um, and I like I always am interested in the idea of like is there a cohesive, uh, like socially conscious model of gentrification that we could abide by? Like let's um, like support local businesses. You know, like don't don't congregate to like the developer owned coffee house, for example. And um, like the more I think about it, the more I'm pretty sure that like that's not really possible. I think it's just violent. Well, I think it's it I think it all goes back to a matter of individual individual choices, but most people aren't aware of, you know, the fact that maybe a coffee shop is owned by developers that it's placed there to, you know, yeah. essentially, you know, change the the makeup of a neighborhood. Um, and you know, there's obviously, you know, imp impetus to support uh, small businesses, but you have to actively, you know, and again, it comes out to uh, individual decisions, you know, a small business might be $2 more, um, or, you know, you might, another thing with all this stuff is like, small businesses, you're dealing with personalities and people, and for some reason, the way this whole, like, again, I mean, I think the thing that we have sort of circled around but not touched upon is, um, like, the New York personalities, and there are many forms, like you said, like, something like New York is a million different voices shouting at once, and that's what makes the city, you know, a beautiful thing. Where it's, you know, um, you know, we've been talking about specific neighborhoods, but you know, New York is ultimately, you know, dozens and dozens of different neighborhoods with, you know, different kind of ways of moving throughout, you know, mm -hmm. local community, the city, the world. So then it's like changing these, you know, thousands of voices into uh, a few or even one, you know, almost uniform voice. Yeah. And how do you? How do you counter that? That's that's the issue, and I think that's kind of what I go back to. Where it's yeah, it is New York. The cool thing about New York to me is that so then you lose like, those million. Yeah, voices. you lose. It's yeah. a, it's it, through the anarchy of millions of voices. It still coheres into one functioning big city, which is amazing. But now with the demands of capital and the demands of developers increasingly controlling neighborhoods and increasingly controlling what businesses go where, it's kind of dictated. Where it's like, hey. You get your coffee shop, you get your uh, burger place and your burrito place, and it's fine. And uh, and and we're we'll we'll either sell you that there's some kind of local flavor to this when there isn't really, um, and we'll just do that. And I think the only way, and I know Lenny's your perspective was depressing <laughs> a little bit, or is that there? I don't know if because I think I get depressed by it because I'm I'm right. I think you're right partially. Where it's like. I don't know. Is there any way to stop this? Is it just an inevitable form of capitalism or a ca capital demands, or is it like, is it that we rethink the way that local local politics is designed and local people engage with their neighborhood and force people? And I, you know, I don't know if it's possible to force people or can I say one one thing about them to engage with their neighborhood a little bit more about uh, how how the violence of gentrification can be avoided. There is is home ownership. Um, oh, there yeah. was a movement uh, a, a couple of like years ago among the like slate money set, you know, like the, 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 the smart set 
um, that was saying, why would anyone ever buy a home anymore? It's nothing but you know upkeep and hassle. Like everyone should rent, and it makes more economic sense. And that is like a very privileged opinion that you have when you're never concerned about like you and your actual neighbors owning what happens in your neighborhood. Um, as a Crown High resident, I can tell you that like gentrification is happening in a much different way there than it was in like post-industrial, mostly empty buildings, Williamsburg, because there are a lot of families there that have a very stable, like, functional community. And um, so, like, I think one way that that, like, it's depressing, but it, it's, there, there, it's, it, it's not necessarily the way it has yeah. to be. You know, like, if you run businesses and own buildings in your neighborhood, you're, you are going to benefit well, when prices the there go up. Yeah, that's the incentive. Sorry to step on you, but that is the incentive to engage in your community and, and protect like what? Yeah. yeah, and just the reality of all this stuff. Yeah, you know, you have people living in, you know, every, you know, so many neighborhoods in New York City where you're there for two years and you're gone, so you don't even engage with anything because you know, right. oh, I'm going to be out of here and I'm going to move to, you know, wherever. Um, which you're right, that is a, definitely a way to curb a lot of this is to um, be invested in one yeah, of the ways yeah. would be. Well, I'm here. Uh, yeah. I think looping back a little bit, uh, I think what I find depressing about a lot of this. Um, on maybe a grand scale, is that um, when the culture is dictated becomes dictated by capital rather yes. than people. Yeah. Uh, I think that might be the ultimate sort of thing about all this. Yeah, is I that agree. Uh, the long term effect of this is just that, like, just human culture right. is, is now dictated well, by. Uh, these other interests that say, okay, well, this is where you're going to go to this, you know, As place, this, you know, place yeah. that doesn't really service the neighborhood, um, and it has a wall where you can take Instagrams, and that's how you become an individual by, you know, having this Instagram wall. That's yeah. actually, that, I think that's a fairly good like theory, like overriding theory that we've like arrived at that you've arrived at about like what is the issue? Because it kind of ties in like what I was saying, like, well, don't you want to have like money in your city? It's like, yeah, but the price of that clearly, at least in New York is that when you attract enough capital, at some point you become responsive only to that capital. Especially it doesn't help when the like developers like own the city hall to the degree that they do here. Yeah. And so uh, what we're like lamenting is that um, it's being done in a way that, that is increasingly prioritizing not only capital, but the whims of capital. Like, and that capital comes from fundamentally foreign people who don't have an association with the neighborhood, who are kind of exploiting it in an aesthetic sense um, and in a status sense. And uh, they're like, the damage they're doing by like getting rid of like landmark sunshine can't be undone. And it's for kind of a stupid reason. And the reason is just that they can afford it. And that's not like, that does not entitle them in our minds to change New York fundamentally. We're following the money to a certain point where cap like the capital demands are what's changing it. But it's like, how do we, s is it that capital is just so hyperly accumulated by a, such a narrow band of people that they just have to crank it into somewhere, whether it be New York or London or well, San Francisco? Or I, the, the, the I think it's almost, I don't know, irresponsible. I think this gets into just deeper questions, but like, I don't think money rabbit hole. I, go? Well, <laughs> I don't think like any individual. The problem with all this stuff is like you can't really put, pin the blame on individual actors. It's just like this larger force that everyone is a part of in some 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 people decision people who make decisions. Some decisions made are have larger implications than other. But it's like everyone, everyone. You know, yeah. I am not. You know, I'm not saying I'm. You know, I've definitely contributed to a lot of, you know, yeah, negative things in many, you know, ways, you yeah. know, I like to hope and I try to, you know, 
contribute more, I guess, what I would think is positively and negatively, but, you know, everyone is, you know, kind of uh, contributes to this stuff in, in ways um, that are probably well, more of a net negative than a net positive. But anyway, um, yeah. I just think, like, it's, it's I, just this larger force that is beyond any individual okay. control. Well, I just, I just want to stop us from becoming the Instagram Borg. That's what I think you're. I think you're pointing out is that we're just becoming this mass, as opposed to yeah. being individuals. Yeah. we are being collated into this. Well, because it's everything's funneled into like again, like these walls that I don't know if you've noticed these places, but they no, just drive me nuts. But they're <laughs> like, I don't know. It could be anything. It could be like a coffee shop. It could be yeah. like a, a boutique, or you know, uh, even like some of the you know, like a, even a thrift store. Yeah. Um, and they have like these like colorful walls or something, or maybe I like have like art galleries have them yeah, like yeah. like a slogan or something. And like the impetus is to uh, like take a picture, yeah. And then like the individuality then of people is just like, all right, how are you an individual within the frame of this picture, as opposed to how are you just an individual as an individual being an individual, you know? Expressing yourself. Like, yeah. That's yeah. actually a really good point, yeah. like because there's a wholesome aspect to Instagram, right? Which because it's you living your life. Like I always said, like the idea that well, like a millennial is narcissistic because we're taking pictures of our lunch, you know. And it's like, no, actually, I think that like sh people expressing that they're taking joy in the small things in life is a really wholesome thing. But your point is like, you're not really being that human. You're kind of you're putting you're using yourself as a prop, yeah. basically. You're being you know, funneled into this frame. Yeah. Like, and some people are more aware of it than others. Some people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not actually doing this. You're like kind of commissioning yourself to do it. Um, I think that one import really important thing too that um, is is the concept of like. So much of, of these decisions, it's not anyone's fault, you're right, Lance, but like what we are giving into is this consumerist ideology, which is like you need to have it the way you want it. And this ties into your Postmates experience. Um, this article that we all read and was like, I thought an incredible article, it was published by Tim Wu in the, um, who's the uh, originator, the coiner of the term net neutrality, um, in uh, the New York Times this last weekend. And um, the article was basically, uh, a um, statement on convenience. And it was the idea that it kind of offered the lens of convenience as this thing that we can view most of our modern experience through. And the idea of, um, you know, convenience doesn't have any value to it. It's just what is easy. Uh, sometimes life is better when things aren't easy. Uh, sometimes, you know, you don't want everything to be accessible. Yeah, and, and I think that to tie into that, so this is directly pulled from the article. Timu said, We err in presuming convenience is always good, for it has a complex relationship with other ideals that we hold dear. Though understood and promoted as an instrument of liberation, convenience has a dark side. With its promise of smooth, effortless efficiency, it threatens to erase the sort of struggles and challenges that help, help give us meaning to life. Created to free us, it can become a constraint on what we are willing to do and thus, in a subtle way, enslave us. Yeah, and like the idea that like we, we, we give ourselves over to that because I think we all subscribe to this consumerist ideology, which like consumerism, let's define, I said this in the email chain, as like the, it's, not, it's not capitalism, which is relatively inert, I think. It's like applied normative capitalism. It's like you should have all this stuff. And what capitalism um, generally tries to, like, what it values is the free flow of things, like, you know, like billiard balls or something. And then, and then these, these things are going to form their own relationships with each other, and these value will be determined thereby. Um, and so as a consumer, 
uh, you now take that to mean like the free flow of things is good and you deserve to have access to all this stuff. And so convenience is basically like the way that you can tell you're getting this. So like one thing, one example is we were talking about Airbnb and like, you know, the idea that you can like, that you should have access to like residential homes and like a choice of them is insane. Like these used to be things that families lived in. You couldn't, you couldn't choose (laughs) one for, you know, but like what, but like it was a living room, you know, not like a a picture out of a slideshow, but, but this is like, you know, it, it has been made convenient. So much technology rather than doing any actual good only serves to convenientify this. And so I guess like, I thought it was an incredibly impressive way to assess like technology. Um, I think that like the problem with convenience is not convenience itself, but rather that we're using it as a proxy for how successful our, we're, we're making our own experiences in a consumerist sense. And I think the consumerist sense is really damaging to us. Yeah, the whole tech mantra has always, I mean, at least have I've always interpreted it. And I didn't really think about this until maybe past two, three years as you see like clear, the clear dark sides of all this stuff. But it's like, Tech's gonna, you know, all this stuff, and I'm broadly saying tech, and but I don't mean to implicate all, but you guys know but what I mean. Three years I ago, you're yeah. right. The tech, yeah. technology companies yeah. all had They're like, like the whole we're thing gonna, yeah, like you are changing yeah. lives, and yeah. every, everyone is better. And yeah, we're gonna improve the world. Everything's gonna be so much more yeah. convenient. Yeah, you know, exactly. And then we're you gonna, see kind of these downsides, but then just sort of looping back a little bit, and sort of how everyone's complicit in like. You know, these forces are almost beyond individual control. It's the very fact that I do Postmates. I'm like, am I, is this like actually contributing to the fact that more people are going to be depending on this because, you know, I get to make a little bit of money? You know, is it good for people who do it? Right. But like, I actually think it's a very interesting way to experience uh, the city. Yeah. That's uh, good point. Almost yeah. like how a cab driver, like, yeah. so that I enjoy that and it's actually a good workout. So yeah. those are the reasons I do it. But then I often say, I mean, and it's not even like I'm making that much money at all from right. it. But I'm, you know, like, is this a net negative as opposed to a net positive? I don't really know. Yeah. But I do it, yeah. you know. And you just, uh, you engage with the city in a different way. I want, now I'm wondering if there's going to be a taxi driver, but Postmates, like the next Scorsese is going to make a Postmates style <laughs> <laughs> movie. Like a uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably movies about Uber drivers and stuff, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, but like, I think that there's, I'm just wondering the next New York gritty modern well, it's completely Black changed. Internet. That whole that whole thing has completely changed how the city operates. I think right. so. This morning, uh, and this like, I mean, it might almost contradict some of this. Um, I have a cousin who uh, lives in the city on the Upper West Side, and you know, 14 years old. I hang out with him from time to time. You know, as as a, as a good cousin does. Cousin. Um, and you know, for like a 14 year old kid, there's like not that much to. Like, I feel like there used yeah. to be like there's a pinball place we go to sometimes. Um, but like, there's not that much to do. That you can only is go to the American built. Museum of Yeah, Netflix there's like so museums, but like yeah. you know, even the arcades are are like barcade, right. and their bars, even like yeah. Fat Cat, you know, yeah. is yeah. a bar. Um, there's not that many places, and I don't I don't know because I wasn't I didn't grow up here, so I'm not sure 
if that's always been the case. I would go um, ogle the celebrities at uh, Madame Tussauds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> also stuff, Perry. also stuff to do that it aren't isn't a hundred dollars. You know, yeah, like totally. that is like you affordable. Can't, you can't even take uh, them to the Burger King in Times Square. He'll try yeah, to buy a beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Food, food, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Food stuff you could do, but yeah. it's like you know, the How people don't. Going? You know, it's not like there's. We don't need I mean, there are some yeah. city kids who are foodies, but you know, it's not like a <laughs> normal kid thing to do. Right. Um, but we went to. Uh, went to this. We got cheesesteaks, but then we went to this place, uh, or we went. We went to the Gotham West Market, which oh, okay. this is about, I believe, the yeah, food hall article. Um, and it was interesting. So he was thirsty, and we tried to get just like a. I was like, all right, we'll get a bottle of water, bottled water, right? We had to go to the three places to just get. So one of them just didn't have water. The second <laughs> one only had like fancy glass. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like but yeah. yeah. So then we were like, no one has water. And he was like, this place is like the, the one uh, taco place. <laughs> they, they're the ones who have the bottles of water. So it was like, they're all, it was, it was like, uh, it's almost like, what is, what is this? What is the utility? Yeah. Of, it was, it was just, uh, well, that's the, very interesting. It's like a kind of a basic human need that, like, this market is here to serve human needs, and it wasn't there. So, yeah. You know, and somebody who was promoting the Gotham West Market uh, in this art piece called "The Inflated Promise of the American Food Hall" uh, in the New Yorker was saying, "This is the front end of the next big trend in retail. We're going to see that's going to be experiential retail. People just want something." Instagram worthy. <laughs> so that's the thing is that you trade that Instagrammableness for just like I need water, like I need the human need of water. <laughs> like yeah. we all need it. Again, like to that experience comment, like you know, I, I was in a, a Bear Burger one time with a coworker of mine, and he just like looked. We were designing a, our, our company website at the time, so we were just on lunch break, and he just looks at like the faux, you know, farm to table decor, and he's just like. Man, everything is like ex- an experience now, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I think that Instagram uh, is definitely like one outcropping of this. But the fundamental problem is that we can just have everything packaged up the way we want it now, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it you and then you uh, strip away the actual difficulties of that experience, like farm to table experience. You're farming. Uh, you're you know out there for hours. You're <laughs> yeah, sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> you know maybe you get you know you hurt your back or something. You know that's all. Well, yeah, connection with it. We're just yeah. we're, it's the same thing that happened with in, in with our money. You know, you strip away the what underlies it, and I'm not talking about like end the Fed type shit. Which, although that did happen, like they took away what backed the dollar, but also like the stuff that we trade. You know, like even stocks are not based on really fundamentals anymore. Everything in this society is being. Like there's this, this is like tomato soup skin that forms on top of it. That becomes like, the, or maybe like the wheat, you know, like the, the wheat separates from the chaff. And then you try to, to solidify that, you know, concentrate it and package it and commodify it and then make it really available, you know, and like, and then you, you strip out what, whatever gave birth to it and everything just feels fake and everyone's disconnected. And that's why we're all so alienated. Has like there is a that? cost to this. <laughs> Has great. anyone seen that, great that short film of the little gray man? who <laughs> there's this short film from like 10 years ago that won an Academy Award, but it's about essentially how capital steals the essence of a product. Um, I will post the YouTube link along with this episode. Make that the episode pick. Or we'll, yeah, maybe, oh yeah, that would be pretty good. Or we'll just cut this. But I'll send, anyway, I'll send you guys that video. It's a great little short film uh, as we get ready for the Oscars. My concern about is that now because technology has moved, technology and development have moved at this pace 
where we can package our lives and capital demands can meet that. And particularly in big, it's a privilege to do that, like in the big American cities. I'm sure people don't have this problem in maybe Tuscaloosa, Alabama or something yeah. like that. But and yeah, then I would go back to saying that's how the, just the larger culture is shaped. Yeah. So it does, yeah. But sorry. <laughs> Another Tuscaloosa's, yeah. Tuscaloosa's reference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the we third were, one. We, we yeah, dropped yeah. Tuscaloosa <laughs> a lot. Maybe we should, yeah. after Tajikistan, that'll be, when we finally launch the Patreon, we'll go to do a show in Tuscaloosa. That'll be the second tier. I think we can, can all it, agree that Tuscaloosa it, is the Tuscaloosa is the Tajikistan of America. Of America, yeah. yeah. Honestly, Tajikistan might be better. <laughs> Tajikistan is the Brooklyn of Central Asia. Oh, that's why the stupid realist. Do you think that any that that Brooklyn of something trope will ever go away? Lance, do you think I'll let Lance cut? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's sort of. Yeah, I do. I I don't know. You I got a site. What did you say on the email chain? Like, uh, like Manhattan's gonna be the Brooklyn of uh, New York City or yeah, something. It's, it's like, gonna be the Brooklyn. Of I mean, Manhattan that would, you know never like happened. It. Yeah, but um, I think it. I mean, even now, yeah. I I guess I'm not sure. Yeah, it's just. I, I mean, even now, it seems like it has less of a cachet, uh, cachet than it did just a few years ago. You know, I, I just yeah. want some. I want some other city to be like, oh, it's the Seattle of the Alberta, Canada, or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, I just want to. I just want to take away the title of Brooklyn of blank and move it to another city. <laughs> There's an Onion so article. My rent doesn't continue. To Isn't there like <laughs> a like a France something in Paris or something that's like bro- like very Brooklyn? I don't know. Uh, there's, dude, that yeah, it's a global brand. Yeah. There, there's an Onion yeah. article that's like the Michael Jordan of rafters taken down by the Shaquille O'Neal of rivers. <laughs> uh, well, we landed on a laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, well, I guess let's let's wrap there. I think uh, this is a good another good episode. I think we have to have a Lance Parker and Charlie Walden New York City super episode. Oh, we should do that super yeah. episode because you guys are both tour tourism New York City experts. I think I don't know. Yeah, I, New York I, City amateur. Yeah. I think we all yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, I think we all have things to contribute on that. Yeah. Um, so no, I I am obviously deeply insecure, but um, I always like <laughs> you know anyone <laughs> like you just listen to anyone and it's like. You know, I like to think that I have an idea what I'm talking about, but uh, I think I'm bit. definitely fallible. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I wasn't calling you the Pope of tourism, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Brian yeah. didn't say Lance. You're a guy who's never wrong. Hey, yeah. hey Lance, you're a brain genius who knows yeah. everything about the city. <laughs> uh, but I just think that would be a great session. Well, everyone, you know, this is a different podcast, but everyone just acts like they're right all the time about everything, and I'm like, you're Lance. As a yeah. white man in America, how do you think I made it this far? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Brian and I started a podcast because we were like, you know what, we're always right <laughs> everyone you know, needs to hear this you know how we have no platform and most of the time we like waste our time <laughs> writing each other half-baked ideas on the internet yeah let's do that in audio and voice form uh lance do you have anything to plug before we wrap up um hey i guess so uh if you want to go on a walking tour of new york city <laughs> pretty good tours nyc yeah pretty good tours nyc we got a, a bunch of this uh i guess i don't know when this is being released I'm working on I'm working on one about and this is also I don't want to get too far but I'm working on a Brooklyn Bridge tour. Nice. I would argue the Brooklyn Bridge is like a place in New York that should be touristified. Yeah. You know, it's like a remarkable achievement. <laughs> well, you're in luck. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I'm in luck because I'm doing a tour. But yeah, like, and it is the, the most yeah. touristy place. Yeah, um, but I'm actually I'm working on a Brooklyn Bridge tour that I should have ready in a few weeks. Very um, so that will be it'll be early in the morning because uh, as we know it gets quite crowded. So yes. you want to have a 
right. the, the local experience that doesn't exist in the Brooklyn Bridge. But uh, yeah, one of the one of my favorite Brooklyn Bridge memories is I was walking over late at night after drinking, and it was a nice night. So I was like, oh, I had a lot to drink, and I was like, I'll walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was great. It was beautiful. It was a very romantic New York City moment. And as I was getting to the end of the bridge, there was a guy clearly having a disagreement with his girlfriend and she was very upset and just kind of like, not like a violent disagreement. It was just like they were clearly having a pretty hardcore couple fight. And the guy in the most exasperated couple fight kind of way just put his hands uh, to his face, turned around, raised his hands to the sky and said, Mamma Mia! <laughs> <laughs> Unironically. And I was like, I'm home. And it was like right as I stepped foot in Brooklyn. And I was like, this, what a town. <laughs> and I went nice. home and I slept it off. And I was like, that was a great night. <laughs> great. Um, but there's other many great historical things that have happened other than the bullshit that I saw. Uh, Lenny, you got anything going on? Any, any um, good content you slang in on the internet these days? No. Cool. Brian, you got anything to plug? The Brooklyn Comedy Collective will be launching shows on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the Brick Theater in Williamsburg, very close to the Metropolitan G stop. Um, I'm only advertising off the G train. L train, <laughs> you're shutting down. No <laughs> advertising for you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing shows there. Uh, it should be good. It's called the Brooklyn Comedy Collective, um, brooklyncc.com, to sign up for more information to find out about shows. And classes, uh, and I'm going to be doing the tech, some of the tech work there. And Brian's time. Brian's not officially Postmates like approved, but he'll do anything you pay him for. I'll do anything. Like, oh yeah. yeah, generally I just get pimped around to these comedy shows. I'm also doing a show at Union Hall, the yard sale show at Union nice. Hall this Saturday. I'm teching that. I'm going to be. I'm going to. What be is that? February like 20? February 24th. So there hopefully we get this out. I think 2018. Get this out. By the way, 2018. Not not 1925. <laughs> when we didn't have podcasts. <laughs> they had radio though. All right. Uh, I guess that. Does it for us then? Um, what? What's that? Lance, you gotta take us out, Lance. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Whatever I said in the do beginning, the, that was do completely the wrong. Voice. Thanks <laughs> for attacking all thank of me. You. Thank you, guys. This is a voice. Bye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like over. Broadway.